Father, what a gift it is to be able to gather together with the saints to worship you today. Lord, you are unbelievably kind to us. You have been so good to us. Father, we have known nothing but grace and kindness and charity from you. Lord, your holiness has been for our good. Your judgments have been for our good. Your uh, grace that you have shown to us has been for our good. Father, you have drawn us in uh, to your presence by Jesus Christ for our good. You have sent us out on mission to proclaim the gospel for our good. You have gathered us together this Sunday morning for our good. Lord, all those who fear you lack no good thing. And Lord, we can profess that with great joy today because we possess Christ. And what greater object of great worth and prize and treasure is there than Jesus? And so God, we come together this morning broken and flawed in hurt and in pain with anxieties and worries and fears. Lord, but we gather this morning to look at our great prize and treasure, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that our souls are anchored in him. And God, we thank you that we no longer uh, have to uh, believe that we have to earn our way into your presence. But God, in Christ, we are found perfectly, just, uh, perfectly justified and righteous before you. And so God, we gather this morning for many reasons. But the chief reason, Lord, we gather today to exult in Christ. God, many of us this week have dealt with uh, difficulty, with challenge, with suffering, trouble, and trial. But Lord, you have not orchestrated all the things in our lives uh, just arbitrarily, not for any purpose. But Lord, all of these things have in some way grabbed our attention. And Lord, many of us have likely have seen that we are deeply needy and in great need of you. Father, many of us have turned our eyes to worthless things and have turned our thoughts to uh, worthless thoughts. Many of us have spoken words that uh, have no benefit or blessing to others. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, our forgiveness is already secured. Father, we thank you that uh, we do not have to muster our own strength uh, to follow Christ, but Lord, that we are in him by faith. God, would you please help us as a people rest and delight in Christ by faith. God, if we have sought this week to try to perform or merit our way into a greater standing before you, Lord, forgive us for thinking that our merits could ever outdo the works of Christ. God, we come this morning resting in his work. Lord, we do not come before you in any way thinking that uh, we are strong enough or smart enough or wise enough or sanctified enough, but Lord, you have already set us apart in Jesus. So we have so much to be thankful for and so much to rejoice in. And so God, we pray that as we gather this morning, our hearts will be filled with joy and peace in Christ. Lord, that as we hear the word read and hear the word preached, that our hearts would be so overcome with the sweetness of our Savior. God, we pray that to not only be the case here at Hagerstown Church, but Lord, uh, we, we think of... Uh, Virginia Avenue Baptist. Father, we think of Pastor Jerry Cooper and his family and, and the saints meeting just a, a few miles away. God, we ask and pray uh, that the same joy would radiate from Virginia Avenue Baptist. 
But Lord, not only Virginia Avenue, but Lord, we pray that this same joy would be experienced by the saints in Baltimore. Father, we think of Jim, uh, Jill and Tim, and Father, we thank you for the sweet encouragement that they've been to our congregation. Not only did they help to plant this church, but Father, they've been sent to go plant another church in another place for the same gospel, for the same glory of Christ. And God, we pray that you would work mightily through them, that you would uh, draw near to them, that you would fill them with your strength, that God, they would be so deeply satisfied in Christ in the midst of the troubles and the trials of this world, Father, that they would look at Hagerstown Church uh, for the gift that we have been to them as they have been to us, and Father, we pray that we would be able to strengthen them from afar. Father, we ask and pray uh, that the work that you are doing here in Hagerstown would be replicated in Baltimore. Father, we pray that this work would be replicated all around this country and all around the world. Not so that Hagerstown Church could have this great big banner uh, put in the community to show how great we are, but Lord, that the banner of Christ would be raised and that you, Lord Jesus, would be honored amongst all peoples. And so, Father, that is our prayer today, that Christ would be glorified, that we would treasure him, and that we would make the gospel known to all those who have yet to know him. So, Father, we commit this time to you now as we... Uh, uh, hear the word read and preached. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable before you, O oh God, our Lord and our Redeemer. And it is for your glory and for the beauty of your Son that we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, you may have a seat. Uh, my name is Chris Gomes, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Hagerstown Church. And can I just say what a joy it is to be able to gather together with the saints this morning. If you are in Hubtown Kids, uh, you are now free to be dismissed. You'll be following Aunt Wendy, Miss Wendy, sorry, my girls call Miss Wendy Aunt Wendy. Uh, yes, you can all call her Aunt Wendy. So you follow uh, uh, Wendy over to the classroom. Uh, pastors, if I can just uh, share just a little bit about myself. I usually don't talk about myself behind the pulpit I, because of the, the time constraints that preachers have for preaching the word. Um, I, I have just kind of made it a habit to not talk about myself, but rather use every second of my, time, uh, of my timer to talk about the word. Now, I found a little loophole because I'm about to talk about the Bible right now. Pastors typically will make minor changes to their sermons as they're going along throughout the week. I made minor tweaks and changes before a uh, dear brother of mine and I were praying before uh, the sermon this morning. But I made this one change. I left my Bible on the pew, and I am going to instead preach out of one of these brand new hardcover black ESV Bibles. If you look in front of you in the pew backs, you're going to see these Bibles made available for you. And so I decided I'm going to preach out of one of these new Bibles because we aim to help people find and follow Jesus. And how can we do that better than with the Word of God? And so I'm going to preach out of uh, this new Bible instead of my old one. But I have to find the proper page first. Now, over the last several weeks, we have been going through our brief sermon series through our core values as a church, right? So if you have a copy of the Luke that Tom and Joyce handed out, you're going to see our core values listed out there on the front page of the Luke. But core values simply are key defining characteristics, right? So your family probably has certain defining characteristics that kind of sets your family apart from another family, right? Uh, maybe you live in a neighborhood where the houses all look the same, but your family probably is a bit different, right? 
Well, the same thing works for churches too. What are the key defining characteristics of our church here at Hagerstown Church? Now, before we can answer that question, I think it would really be of a benefit for us to understand what the Bible teaches a church is. So a, a dear sister reminded me last week that the local church is a covenant family of baptized Christians who gather regularly to proclaim the gospel, portray the gospel, and protect the gospel. Okay. So we gather to proclaim the gospel, that's uh, public preaching and personal disciple making. We gather to portray the gospel, uh, specifically demonstrated through the observance of the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, as we'll uh, partake in uh, later this morning. And then finally, we protect the gospel through meaningful church membership. Right? Now, another way that we can use, uh, say the same uh, idea is simply by this brief statement that we, Hagerstown Church, are a people helping people find and follow Jesus. It's just a simple way to say the same thing. So we're a people helping people find and follow Jesus. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, our core values. We looked at the word matters here. Right? So much so that we have worked together to provide a copy of the Bible that is accessible, that you can read uh, to understand uh, the purposes of God and the person of Jesus Christ in the form of these new uh, hardcover pew Bibles. We looked at the core value of it's all about Jesus. So if you get anything out of the sermon, let it be this, Jesus above everything. So it's all about Jesus. Uh, last week, Pastor Josh walked us through that, the fact that we are big picture focused. Right? We recognize the big picture of the Bible has a big picture effect for the whole world. And so we want to leverage all of our resources, abilities, our time, our, our, our money. We want to steward everything that we have in order to get the gospel to people who do not yet have the gospel. To plant churches where churches have not been planted and to proclaim the name of Christ where Christ has not been proclaimed. This morning, I have the honor to conclude our series with the final core value that we're all in process. We are all in process. So when we say that we are all in process, this isn't just a brief tagline that is really helpful to put out on social media, but this is a, a, a genuine truth about every single person who identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus. We're all in process. What we're referring to when we use this, uh, this statement we're referring to the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification. If you're in our men or our women's book reading group, we're going to talk about sanctification in week number 20. We're only on week number four right now, so that's just a plug for five months from now. But we're all in process refers to this idea that the Bible paints of uh, personal and progressive sanctification. Each of us are in this supernatural process of growing in Christ-likeness. Some of us are a little bit uh, further advanced. Some of us are a little bit um, still uh, in, in, uh, in, in a, in a childlike uh, phase in our walk with Christ. But no matter where we are, advanced or not, we are all in process of growing in Christ-likeness. So if you're new to our church and you want to get a good idea of what this church values, let me encourage you to listen to Pastor Josh's preceding sermons online. They're all available in our, on our sermon library. They're available on your podcast feeds, but it would be a, a, a great benefit for you if you're new to our church to check those sermons out. But let's jump right in now to this idea of we're all in process. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 
If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, maybe you've never really read the Bible before, maybe you have an idea that the Bible is important, but you don't know how to navigate through it, Ephesians is going to be found in the New Testament. You can jump into the table of contents. Ephesians is in the New Testament, and it's one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul. So the larger numbers in the Bible are the chapter numbers, the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. If you don't have your own Bible, you can follow along on the screens as I read along, but this is probably my fourth or fifth plug, you can pull out one of those new Bibles in the pewbacks, just like I did, and read the Word of God together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. And the main idea that we're going to be looking at this morning from the text and uh, through, through the sermon is just simply this brief idea that we're all in process. And that's probably uh, a breath of fresh air for some who have felt uh, a certain burden of uh, pressure to need to be more mature than they are, maybe need to advance further in their spiritual walks than, than where they are now. But let me encourage you, dear saints, Christ has you in process. And God is not in the business of being haphazard with his saints. So if that's where you are today, then say this with me, we're all in process. All right, I wasn't expecting folks to actually say that out loud, but I'm so encouraged to hear that. We are all in process. Our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 gives us a very helpful description of what it looks like for a church to be in the process of sanctification. So sanctification, a three, four syllable word, right? But the Bible teaches that to sanctify means to set someone or something apart for a specific purpose. To set someone or something apart for a specific purpose. Right? So the Bible also describes there, there's three different senses of sanctification. So there's a past sense. Uh, a present tense and a future sense for sanctification. So, if you are a Christian, then you can rejoice and know, Romans 8, 29, God has already set you apart for a specific purpose. Romans 8, 29 says that God has foreknown and he has predestined and he has set you apart, he has sanctified you for conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. So if you ever look back at your life and you wonder, man, I really wish I made some different decisions in my life. Where am I today? Where am I going? Where you are going is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. So you may not know if you should marry this person or get that job or move to this city. But what you can know for sure is that the end is already written in stone. And that end for you looks like you looking like Jesus. So. That's the past sense 
of sanctification. There's also a present sense for sanctification. We're probably going to spend most of our time looking at that later on this morning. But this present, present sense of sanctification is this idea that the church is presently being sanctified, made more Christ-like, presently now, and being made more and more into the image of Jesus as the saints put off the old self and are enabled by the Spirit of God to put on the new. Right? So you probably have experienced conviction of sin at some point. You've recognized, I need to confess this sin, I need to repent of this sin, and I need to walk in holiness. Whatever that sin looks like for you, that's the work of present sanctification. The Spirit working in you presently to grow you into Christ-likeness. Putting off the old and putting on the new. And then finally, there's this future sense of sanctification. And that's simply that God will one day, which is the day of Christ Jesus, God will complete his work of sanctifying the church. So uh, I have a lot of items on my uh, home repair list that just never gets finished. right? And I just keep putting it off and off and off. But the Lord does not do that with his saints. So all of those repairs that he's doing to his saints will be completed. He will complete this work of sanctification. So, from our text this morning, we're going to look at three specific observations, and then we're going to take some time to look at this bigger picture of sanctification from the scriptures. So, if you're a note taker and you like to scribble down notes, which the loop is a perfect tool for that, three observations from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Number one, we're going to look at gifts for equipping. That's in verses 11 through 12. The second observation, maturing in Christ-likeness, it's verses 13 to 14. And then our third observation will be building up in love, verses 15 and 16. Now, if you've never read the letter to the Ephesians, one blogger wrote that it takes on average about 24 minutes to read the whole letter from beginning to end. So that is one episode of your favorite TV show on Netflix. So you can sit down, if you can stream uh, you know, seasons of TV shows on Netflix, you can sit down for 24 minutes and read the letter of Ephesians. That's just a personal challenge and an encouragement to you, saints. Uh, but 24 minutes. In the first three chapters, what you're going to see is Paul explains glorious gospel doctrine in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he shows us gospel ethics. So in the first three chapters, he's turning the attention of the Ephesian Christians to Jesus Christ and the mystery and the glory of the gospel. And in the last three chapters, he gives these gospel ethics, commands and behaviors that are born from the gospel and are characteristic of those who uh, have placed their faith and their trust in Christ. So we find ourselves this morning in the second half, in the ethics half of Ephesians. And our passage begins in verses 11 through 12 with various gifts given to the church by God. And these gifts come in the form of apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So what exactly are these gifts, and what purpose do they serve? So we're just going to work through each one of these briefly, and we'll just make a, brief, uh, a few brief comments as we go along. So the first gift that's mentioned is apostles. The Greek word literally means sent ones. 
Right? Many of us probably have some familiarity with the Bible, so the disciples of Christ uh, post-resurrection, uh, was they were sent out as apostles, uh, the apostle Paul himself having written this letter that we're looking at. So the apostles, the sent ones, were the disciples who were with Jesus, they saw Jesus, they followed Jesus, and they were appointed by Jesus to be sent out as his representatives. Right? So th that's the apostles. Now the second gift mentioned is prophets. Prophets in the Old Testament were those who received divine revelation and were tasked to deliver the message to the people of God. So in effect, prophets spoke in the place of God as God's representative. So apostles and prophets, kind of working in similar fashion, right? Uh, divinely appointed with a, uh, a divinely appointed task to proclaim a message to the people of God. Now, this passage is not grounds for some to justify calling themselves an apostle or a prophet. So there's some church leaders today in various practices and traditions who will claim themselves to, want to be an apostle or a prophet of God. Uh, maybe they don't in intend to equate themselves to the office of the apostles or uh, the, the place of the prophets of the Old Testament, but in practice, many do. This is not what this passage is justifying. Now, the reason why I say that is the rest of the scriptures seem to reinforce the same point. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read of a much grander way in which God has spoken to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's spoken to us by his son. Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4 that the apostles and the prophets played a foundational role in God's holy purposes for establishing the church. He says that at least two times. First in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. And then again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. And I'll just read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 for you. Paul stated that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and then again Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there's at least three passages here that are intended to instruct the church in Ephesus and the church in Hagerstown. That her foundation is built on the apostolic ministry, the po proclamations of the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus is the point of the church. And Paul's reminder three times in this letter is incredibly relevant in our highly pragmatic and modern age. It is very tempting to believe uh, that to build the church, that church leaders need to master the ability to attract a crowd, provide every kind of program and activities to ensure people keep coming back, to platform people with the most charismatic personalities, not to mention strategizing brand management and communication, et cetera, et cetera. And let me just say, all of those things are very helpful in an organizational capacity. But if we substitute those things for the fact that the church is built on Jesus Christ, we've swapped the things. The main thing does not remain the main thing anymore. 
We can't forget that the church is ultimately built not by the wisdom of man, but is built on the teachings of the apostles and the proclamations heralded by the prophets with Jesus being the cornerstone. The church is ultimately built by, built on, and built for Jesus. Now the third gift, evangelists. So these were individuals who were engaged with and particularly equipped for the preaching of the gospel. Now, as important as our Christian services and our good deeds are, we need to remember that our Christian deeds are not a sufficient substitute for our Christian proclamation. So gospel proclamation must uh, be done as well as good deeds, but we have to remember that the Christian faith is one of proclamation, and the evangelists were given to the church to carry out this responsibility. So lest we think that evangelism is, is exclusively reserved for a select few gifted individuals, remember that the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the Great Commission is given to the whole church, the whole church collectively, not just to 12 really gifted speakers. Right? And not only that, but we should consider that Paul gives young protege Timothy, pastor of the church in Ephesus, where the apostle John himself served as one of the elders, but Timothy is uh, told that he is to do the work of an evangelist. So evangelism is important. And according to Ephesians chapter 4, evangelists are a gift. Now, finally, shepherds and teachers. Some scholars will look at uh, shepherds and teachers as maybe two separate categories, but uh, as some will look at it as specifically as one category. But what Paul shows here is that God has gifted the church with shepherds and teachers. So looking at shepherds specifically, the Bible uses various terms to refer to the same thing. You can call shepherds pastors, elders, overseers. If you decide to call me Bishop Chris, I will feel a little uncomfortable, but you can just call me Chris. But th those terms, they, they're, while they're used interchangeably, they do not intrinsically carry more authority than the other. So if you call Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, and you call me uh, Shepherd Chris, it's still meaning the same thing. Right? Now, uh, shepherds, biblically qualified shepherds, and this is really important, biblically qualified shepherds, they exercise their leadership through the nurture and care of the congregation, with the primary tasks being prayer and the preaching of God's word. So that's the shepherd's main job responsibilities. It's almost boiled down to two bullet points. Right? Now, uh, one, one author put it like this. Shepherds or pastors and teachers are mentioned side by side in Ephesians 4 because both types of officers provide instruction. Right? Now, yet while all pastors are teachers, not all teachers are pastors. Teachers and pastors exposit and apply scripture to their hearers but pastors have more of a leadership role than teachers, especially in soul care. So James reminds us that not all should become teachers because God's judgment is stricter on those who teach. And Hebrews tells us later that shepherds or pastors will one day give an account to the Lord for all who are under their care. So, very briefly, those are the gifts. Now, what purpose do those gifts serve. So according to verse 12, God has given these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
and for building up the body of Christ. So Paul, he's going to use this same building and body language again in verse 16, as we'll see. But the language that Paul uses is very similar to the language that the Lord Jesus himself used referring to the church. Matthew 16, verse 18. You don't have to flip there, but maybe you just want to jot this down. But Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus will build his church. The Lord has sovereignly gifted the church with various gifts for the purposes of building up the body of Christ, right? Notice how Jesus is keeping his promise to the church today that he made in Matthew 16, and Paul relates back in Ephesians 4. Jesus is faithful to keep his promises. He will build his church, and he's given gifts to do just that. So what are we supposed, how are we supposed to understand verse 12? Simply, church leaders must equip the saints to do ministry, and this ministry of building up Christ's body is collective. The pastors don't do everything. Right? This text would show that there's a lot of member ministry that is to be done for the purposes of building up the body into full maturity, into the fullness of the stature of Jesus. Uh, one commentator put it this way, what has been done for the saints by the apostles, prophets, and others preparing them, and by the saints through the exercise of their gifts in Christian service, is for building the body of Christ. God intends for each member of the local church to build up the body. That's our first observation. Our second observation, uh, maturing in Christ-likeness, in, our, in this second observation, we will see that all of us have a role to play in advancing the people of God to maturity. You can see uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, to, to see that in uh, greater detail. But just as an, as an example, as uh, we were preparing uh, to approach 2022, Pastor Josh and I had been praying and considering how we as your shepherds or pastors or elders or overseers, how we as your pastors can better care for and equip this newly merged congregation, right? So with that aim in mind of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, uh, we were trying to think through how exactly can we equip the, uh, the, the saints. And so a few things that we implemented uh, were just simple changes, uh, simple additions. Uh, we made additional Bible reading plans available for you so that you can read the scriptures together and meditate and reflect on the word of God together. Uh, we began new book reading groups so that we can all grow further in our understanding and our knowledge of the Son of God. Lord willing, later this year, we will develop new life groups and discipleship groups. Even, plug number six, even those new ESV Bibles in the pew backs are aimed, they're placed there with the aim to build up the body of Christ. Every single one of us plays a role in this work of building up the body of Christ. Uh, just one example, I had, uh, my, my, my wife and I, now, we had uh, dinner made for us the other night, left uh, in, uh, on our front porch by our front door. That little gift was a deep encouragement in the midst of a really hard month. And the saint that dropped that gift off, she had no idea how much refreshment that provided to our family. So, sure, there was no Bible verses thrown at us, right? Or no Bible verses painted on our door when taco salad was dropped off. 
but the sweet gift of a saint thinking of us and giving to us and being generous and kind and praying for us, that refreshed the souls of both my wife and I. And my kids, they ate all their food. What a gift. This dear saint, she has a role to play in the work of building up the body, and sometimes it comes with taco salad. But brothers and sisters, it can be so very tempting to engage in a form of Lone Ranger Christianity, which seems to be pretty prevalent in uh, Western evangelicalism, right? Maybe to profess faith in Christ, but to just ignore the church. I love Jesus, but I don't really want to do anything with the church. And sometimes Lone Ranger Christianity takes the form of attending a church service, but just generally being disinterested in the saints that are among us. But brothers and sisters, God has graciously shown us that the pathway to growth in Christ and holiness in the Lord and joy in him and to grow into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, is not through isolation. It's not through this form of Lone Ranger Christianity. But it's by mutual submission to one another in meaningful membership and to build each other up as we follow the Lord. If you, if you want an example, consider Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. In my life group uh, last week, I said, I am very gifted to bring everything back to this verse. I don't know why, but I think of Hebrews 10, 23 and 24 all the time. So I want you to think about Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. Notice how the, uh, notice what the Lord says here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice how I emphasized this corporate language in Hebrews chapter 10. And I bet you in the middle of conversation later this week, I will bring you back to Hebrews chapter 10. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul explains what the final goal of this process of building up the body of Christ is. That uh, processes lead to a result, and here's the result. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We are to grow into mature manhood. There's uh, implied in this passage is this warning, you need to be careful. Because human cunning, craftiness in deceitful schemes, every wind of doctrine, all of these challenges are going to be present outside of the church, maybe even inside of the church, and it can toss you to and fro. You can be confused. You may be, even be uh, led to believe wrong things, maybe about God, maybe about his word, maybe about one another. We face great dangers around us. But the Lord has given us these various gifts to protect the church, to proclaim the gospel, to portray the gospel. The gifts here are given to build up the body of Christ. God knows the dangers that are present, and God has given us gifts to prepare for those things. 
So how do we arm ourselves and equip ourselves to deal with the challenges outside of us, inside of us, inside of us, in the midst of us? We're to do this by building up one another. You and I need each other more than we probably would like to admit. So let me be the first to boldly and loudly say, church, I need you. I need you to help me to not be tossed to and fro. I need you to help me to not fall prey to cunning, deceitful schemes. Whether you're super advanced in your understanding of the Bible or you're not, I need you to help me to grow into mature manhood. Church, I need you. This is what the Lord intends for his church. Corporate maturity, spiritual advancement of the whole body. Our aim in maturing in Christ-likeness is for the building up of the body of Christ. It is to become mature, not to remain spiritually as children. And by God's grace, if you are discouraged that you are not where you think you ought to be, let me remind you, together, we are going to get there. We will get to this end result together. This is what the Lord intends for his church. And verses 15 to 16, our third observation, verses 15 to 16 explains to us how we get to this spiritual maturity, how we get to this mature manhood, the, the fullness of the stature of Christ. Verses 15 to 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, how are we uh, to uh, help one another follow Jesus and grow in spiritual maturity? We are to speak the truth in love. Some of us are very good at speaking the truth without love. Some of us are very good at being loving at the expense of maybe fearing to be truthful, Paul doesn't see the dichotomy there. He tells us we are to speak the truth in love. Right? So, that's what we are to do. Right? One of the things that we are to do. Now, what does it look like when each part is working properly to make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love? What does that look like? Well, it looks like a supernatural community who is devoted to Jesus that takes his word seriously to love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It's John 13, 34. Uh, it looks like uh, the parts working together to build up the body. It looks like a community that loves one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 10. It looks like a community that uses their freedom not to gratify their own flesh, but to serve one another. Galatians 5.13. It looks like a community who, by God's grace, is kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. It looks like a community whose love for one another 
overflows, who live in peace with each other, who do not grumble against each other, who confess their sins to each other and pray for each other. It looks like a community who bears one another's burdens and so fulfills the law of Christ. Galatians 6. As I was preparing this past week and reflecting on verse 15, speaking the truth and love, kind of just had like a spiritual light bulb moment uh, going off. I was considering how the saints who are being conformed into the image of Christ are to speak the truth in love, right? And then if you keep reading later on in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul instructs the church, therefore, be imitators of God, right? Uh, uh, What's the old adage? Uh, uh, Imitation is flattery, right? Not exactly uh, applicable here. I don't know why I said that, but we're to imitate God. Right? So uh, we're to be imitators of God as beloved children. In the gospel, uh, this is the light bulb moment, in the gospel, God has spoken the truth in love. God has spoken the truth to us in Love. The gospel message announces the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the need for a Savior, and the provision of that Savior in Jesus. God has lovingly given us the truth that God himself is abundantly and eternally and perfectly holy, that we, even though we've been made in his image, have sinned and rebelled, and in our sin are enmity with against God, and that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. The gospel announces to us and speaks the truth and love to us that we have not lived the life that we are called to live as an image bearer of God, but we have failed and we've fallen, we've rebelled against God. But the gospel announces that Jesus has lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. The gospel announces that Jesus perfectly kept God's law. The gospel announces that Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's law. The gospel announces that Jesus is the radiant of God. The gospel announces that he is our savior. The gospel also speaks the truth in love that if you by faith would turn to Christ, repent of your sin, and place your trust in him, you will be forgiven of all of your sins. You will be justified with the righteousness of Jesus that God will welcome you in to his holy and perfect presence, not by the merits of your own works, by the merits of Jesus that he has imputed to you so that you may be found righteous in him. The gospel announces that new life is available for you in Christ. That is truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love to one another, not to win an argument, not to score a point, not to prove ourselves right, but brothers and sisters, we are to speak the truth in love because that is what the Lord has done himself. And if we are going to be obedient to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 to imitate God, we are to speak the truth in love. Uh, Tim Keller has this wildly viral quote. Uh, that has blessed me and I trust will bless you from his um, uh, book, The Meaning of Marriage. But you've probably seen this maybe on social media, but if you haven't, let me bless you. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that uh, that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are 
and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. We're to speak the truth in love. Now, all that to say, we are all in process. And, and notice that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, until, uh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, in, uh, this is a new Bible, so it's hard to find my place. Excuse me, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So he doesn't say we've arrived there just yet. He says we are on this path, we are in this process, and we're getting somewhere. That somewhere has not arrived just yet, but it's coming. It will come. So all of this to say we're all in process. David Powelson, uh, who is a uh, he's a theological hero of mine. He's a counseling hero of mine. He's a pastoral hero of mine. If you read David Pallison, um, I, I think I'm safe to say you will never be steered wrong. Um, but David Pallison, he, he said two things uh, that kind of uh, just encapsulates this idea of we're all in process. First, God himself changes us. If you are in Jesus, God changes you. He intervenes in your life turning you from suicidal self-will to the kingdom of life. He raises you in Christ when you are dead in trespasses and sins. He restores hearing when you are deaf. You could not hear him otherwise. He gives sight when you are blind. You could not see him otherwise. He is immediately and personally present, a life-creating voice, a strong and strengthening hand. All good fruit in our lives come by the Holy Spirit's working on the scene. Secondly, he says, the word of truth changes us. God communicates messages to us, many messages. Scripture speaks with a true voice into a world churning with false voices. Remember the human doctrines, the, the, the cunning, deceitful schemes, all of those things around us? The world is churning with false voices. Scripture reveals innumerable features of God's person, purposes, will, promise, and actions. Scripture clarifies every facet of human experience. I come to know myself truly as I live before the eyes of the one whose opinion matters. Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, if I think of our core values, the word matters here. We're all in process. Scripture gives us hope. I, I, and I can't say this enough. I have to respect my timer, but I can't say this enough. Brothers and sisters, saints in Christ, in Jesus, we are all in process. Some are more advanced than us. Some need to uh, advance further. But Jesus has every single one of his saints in this process of sanctification. And lest we become too prideful about how mature we've become or how advanced we are, remember, God has taken it upon himself to sanctify you in the image of his son. If you're in Christ, then God has already set you apart for conformity to the image of Christ. Our brothers and sisters, my aim is not to make you look more like me. You're not going to be served well if you look more like me. You will be served well if I help you look more like Jesus. This work, though, is not exclusively left up, left up to me. This is a work that God himself is doing. 
God is building his church, and God, in eternity past, read Romans chapter 8, verse 29, in eternity past, God has sanctified you for this purpose, that you, dear saints, would look like Christ, even if you feel like you really don't look like him at all. He's already set you apart for conformity to the image of Christ, and I dare you to dare God to fail. You will be sorely disappointed if that's what you want to see him do. He is presently sanctifying you, dear saints, by his word and his spirit to put off the old and to put on the new. You are being sanctified even now. God is being faithful to you even now to put off the old and to put on the new. And maybe this is the, the, the greatest hope for, for us. I know this is very hope-giving to me. He will complete his work in sanctifying you. Whether you've been spiritually mature uh, or whether you've seen your spiritual maturity or advancement happen quickly or slowly, let me encourage you to consider these five realities regarding sanctification. So if you're a note taker, I am blessing you today with taking notes. Five realities regarding sanctification. Number one, sanctification is God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul really just cuts straight to the point. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He goes on to explain uh, various ethics that Christians are to apply. But notice, he doesn't say, well, if you wonder what God wants to do, maybe this is it. He says, for this is the will of God, church, your sanctification. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You may wonder, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be going? What is my life supposed to look like? What's my five-year spiritual plan? I don't know how to answer those questions for you. As a pastor, I may be able to help you uh, ask some really good questions of yourself and of the scriptures to understand where you should go and what you should do. But I can tell you this, God's will for your life, Hagerstown Church, is your sanctification. That's me included in that. God has called us, not for impurity, but in holiness. Sanctification is God's will for you. Number two, sanctification is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. And sometimes, it's a very slow process. Look at, uh, you, you can look at maybe later on, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul seemed to really master this idea of sanctification being an ongoing process. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. This is harking back to some Old Testament imagery. Unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformed from one degree of glory to another. Saints, if you're in Christ, this is speaking to you. You are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, again, gospel ethics born out of gospel doctrine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of uh, it, re being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let me give you an, uh, another passage, Ephesians chapter 4, similarly to Colossians chapter 3. 
But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, we are to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, that's not going to happen overnight. There may be some sins that we see upon conversion. We just very quickly repent of it, and we never turn back. I can think of a few sins of my own uh, before I was a Christian that I reveled in. When I became a Christian, I said goodbye to those sins forever. And I never want to go back to uh, that, that, uh, that, that sinful nastiness. I was mostly a liar. I would lie a lot to my parents all the time. Uh, kids, if you're a teenager, uh, you should know that the authority that's demonstrated uh, in your Christian parents is actually reflective of the authority of God. And so uh, the authority that's being exercised is actually for your benefit. And if you lie to them like I would lie to my parents, you're actually doing yourself and your parents a disservice. But that's just my word to the teenagers in the room and to the adults if you're, if you're lying to your parents too. Do not lie to one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Now, sanctification, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. Uh, one of the things that uh, some of you might know about me, uh, and this is just a quick illustration, um, I really enjoy the company of my wife, the company of my daughters, and the company of a barbell. Uh, I have taken on powerlifting as a fun sport. I have very little time to do much of anything, but man, powerlifting has been a ton of fun. Uh, and one thing that I've noticed is uh, at the Y, maybe it's the beginning of the new year, maybe because summer's coming and everybody wants six-pack abs for uh, summertime or whatever, but there's this idea in the weight room that we're just going to throw weight plates onto the barbell very quickly, and we're going to throw a lot of weight up into the air and, and you know, snatch really fast and bench really hard and squat really heavy. Um, and what happens is you see these guys for about a day or two, then you don't see them the next week, and you don't see them the next month, there are some guys I haven't seen since last year, right? There's an end result in mind, right? Like whatever this end result is, uh, stronger, uh, uh, greater strength, more muscle, whatever it is, there's this uh, end result in mind. And some of these uh, guys uh, who I really want to share the gospel with, they're trying to short circuit the process. You can't get to the thousand pound club if you don't start with an empty barbell first. You can ask me what the thousand pound club is later. All that to say, we cannot short-circuit the process that the Lord has sovereignly intended for his church, which is the slow process of ongoing conformity to the image of Jesus. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Number three, sanctification requires resting in and remembering Christ's work for you. Oftentimes, uh, what I've seen in my personal experience, uh, and even pastorally, is that brothers and sisters will want to grit their teeth and do this work on their own. So we will be quick to say, well, salvation is all of the Lord alone. But then when it comes to sanctification, it's as if we want to say, yeah, but I got to get to the conformity of the Son of, uh, of God on my own. So I'm going to grit my teeth and really try to be holy. And what I've seen in my pastoral counseling is uh, discouragement and frustration and difficulty Brothers and sisters, if, if I just described you, your sanctification, individually and corporately, requires that we rest in and remember the work that Jesus has done for us. Let me read to you uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 3. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's as if John is saying, church, look at this good news. Sit here, pause, and sit in awe for a moment at the love of God that the Father has given to us. The language that he uses it actually uh, connotes this idea of otherworldliness. So this otherworldly alien love of the Father has been given to you, church, and in that love, God now calls you children. He calls you children. He no longer calls you enemies. He no longer calls you rebels. He no longer calls you worthless slime or worms. He calls you children. What a loving father. So sit there and see what kind of love the father has given to us. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. At least two times. Did you catch how John is telling us, remember what God has done? How do we become children of God? Well, we don't force our way into the family of God. We are born again by faith in Christ. So, he calls us the children of God. The love that the Father has shown to us, where was this first shown? It was shown on the cross. It was shown in Christ. So, verse 1 tells us to remember the work of Christ. Verse 2, what we will be has not yet appeared, but when he appears, we shall be like him. Not we may be like him, we shall be like him. You may not look very much like Jesus, but when he appears, read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. When he appears, your life will appear with him also in glory. We will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus will no longer be an abstraction of our imagination. We shall see him as he is perfectly with unveiled face in full glory. Number four. Sanctification demonstrates that God is for you. Sanctification demonstrates that God is for you. I think in uh, the Reformed evangelical circle, we can be really good to talk about God is for his glory, God is for his name, God is for his kingdom. Romans 8.29, for those whom he formed, and all of that is true, by the way. I'm a part of that Reformed evangelical circle, and I'm proud to be of it. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God did not haphazardly decide, I think I'm going to try this thing with a bunch of image bearers, maybe to look like my son, just for kicks and giggles. God, in his sovereignty, predestined you for this purpose that you would look like Jesus. He's committed to this. Do you know what that means? It means that God is for you. God is for you, saint. If you are in Jesus Christ, the regeneration that you've experienced, the new birth in, in, in the Son of God by the Spirit of God that you have experienced is evidence that God is not against you. God is for you. Number five. Sanctification will come to completion by the Lord. 
Sanctification will come to completion. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I am sure of this. When you read this text, Paul is not guessing or speculating or wondering or imagining that maybe this will happen. I am sure of this. Not because you are strong, church. Not because you have great strength and great might and great wisdom. No, no, no. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If sanctification has been slow and difficult and a struggle for you, if there are sins in your life that have been difficult to kick, habits that you just can't seem to break, there's coming a day, if you're in Jesus Christ, that that struggle will come to an end, where the back cover of the book will be flipped, where you will no longer have to wonder, will I ever change? You will. You will be changed. Remember, we will be like him as he is because we shall see him. This work of sanctification will come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what your struggle has been like as your pastor. I want to help you through that. But what I want to encourage you with is you don't have to be in despair and in despondency that you're never going to change. Because God has promised to you, whether you believe this or not, he will complete the work that he's begun. Sanctification, in summary, is discipleship into the way of the life of Jesus. What is his way of life? If we're not careful, we can get so focused on all of the spiritual activities that we need to do, all of the things that we haven't done that we know we should do. But sanctification is growing in conformity to the image of Christ. It is discipleship into his way of life. Well, what is Jesus' way of life? Let me turn your eyes to Jesus, who is the man of faith who lives in the Psalms, depending on mercies. He's the man of wisdom who lives out the Proverbs, fearing the Lord. Jesus is the man of righteousness who loves God and neighbors. He's the man of redeeming mercies who embodies Exodus 34. Do you know what Jesus looks like? He looks like this. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Jesus is the servant of the Lord who laid down his life for others. We are being conformed, dear brothers and sisters, into this image, into this Jesus. Not this imaginary Jesus that is whipping us for not doing enough or uh, uh, flagellating us for not earning enough, but he has taken it upon himself to complete this process that he began in us at the day that he returns. Brothers and sisters, this is the Jesus in whose image you and I are being conformed to. And until that day that he completes it, remember, we are all in process. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for this good news that is in the gospel, that grace and mercy has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we thank you for the good news that you have set us apart in eternity past, that you are presently sanctifying us to grow in spiritual, uh, in, into Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. And God, we thank you that one day this work will come to an end. Until that day, Lord, help us to keep our eyes lifted to Christ. Help us to remember him, to think on him, to meditate on him, to reflect on him, to rejoice in him, to treasure him above all things, to be satisfied in him, to be fulfilled with him, to be overcome by Christ. God, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we gather. That's why we will participate in the Lord's Supper. Lord, help us to look to Jesus, to look unto Jesus, to look for Jesus, and to look like Jesus. God, we pray all this for your glory and for uh, the praise of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.